All right. Well, it is good for us to be in worship here together this morning. Uh, if you are new or maybe newer with us, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. And uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own uh, here in the West Auditorium, you should be able to find one in the pew rack in front of you to use. Or in the East Auditorium, there's some folks walking around with some. And in either room, if you don't have a Bible of your own, then we would say it is much better off with you than it is sitting in these pew racks all week long. So please take that as a gift. We would love for you to have it if you don't have a Bible. So as you turn there, uh, just a little bit about my background. Um, I'm not someone who actually grew up going to church. And for those of you who did grow up going to church, I would suspect there's some things that you know about church and the Bible that you might have just simply taken for granted that those of us from the outside uh, had to kind of climb the learning curve uh, a little bit. Uh, One of those moments, uh, there's plenty of them, but one that uh, stands out uh, a good bit was when I was a junior in high school. we were having a, uh, like a high school retreat at my house. The boys were all sleeping at our house. And um, I'd been a Christian probably about a year and a half. And we were doing this teaching through the Old Testament about the Israelites. And the youth leader was talking about how these Israelites, how they would obey God and then they would disobey God and then they would obey and they would disobey and then they would get into these like battles and wars. And then finally, I just, I just didn't understand. And I just raised my hand in front of all my peers and I asked this question. I said, okay, let me get this straight. How is it that these like lights in the sky shining on Israel, like obey God, disobey God, fight battles, like how does this work? Like I was thinking like the northern lights. You with me? You all following, tracking with my, you're like, is he serious? Yeah, he's serious. So yeah, this, is, this, was my, this was my lack of understanding that, this, that I, I couldn't quite get. So if you want to know, in all seriousness, an Israelite is actually a less filling, low calorie option of Israel. <laughs> Sorry, I'm done. That's all I've got. Okay. All right. Um, they were actually the people of God in the Old Testament. The Israelites are the people of God, just in case someone else might be like me who's new and trying to figure it out. Okay. So I've had Plenty of those moments, plenty of those experiences where I'm kind of playing catch up because I didn't grow up in church. And one in particular that relates to kind of where we're at right now, particularly last week with Easter, was I remember showing up on Easter Sunday like I did basically every other Sunday when I first started going to church, only I recognized that everyone around me seemed to think that this particular Sunday of Easter was different than all the rest of the Sundays. Uh, it It was in South Carolina, it was like the deep South, and so people, I mean, they got dressed up for Easter, and it's like... What in the world? What are these people wearing? And the ladies, who never seemed to need a hat any other Sunday, all of a sudden, all the ladies got the hats. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And so, and, and my, it was a pretty conservative uh, little Christian church, but on this particular Sunday, everyone's just a little bit more charismatic. And I just didn't understand, frankly, what the big deal was. I mean, I'll give it to Jesus. You know, it's like, hey, if you're going to do like one final miracle, I'll, I'll hand it to you bringing yourself back to life, that's, that's awesome, that's good. But I didn't understand what the big deal was that changed the way in which we were supposed to respond on that particular day. Well, what I've learned since is that Easter is actually very much a big deal and the resurrection of Jesus matters a lot. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he says it this way uh, in his letter to the church at Corinth, he says, hey, if Christ has not been raised, if the resurrection didn't happen, Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If only for this life 
we have hope in Christ, then we are all, of all people, most to be pitied. Pretty strong words from the Apostle Paul. But, I know it's very upsetting, I feel the same way. (laughs) But the good news is, Paul goes on in verse 20. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And those little ellipses, those three little dots following that phrase, you could say that is what this series is all about. The so what that Christ raised from the dead. Why is it that Easter, the resurrection, why does it matter? And so what we're going to look at over the next several weeks are, you could say, post-resurrection encounters, post-resurrection stories of the 40 days between when Jesus rose from the grave and then ascended into heaven where he now is seated at the right hand of God. So you got, this is the timeline. You got Jesus dies on Good Friday. Three days later, he rises from the grave. Then over the course of 40 days, he meets with his disciples. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he, he then, you know, reveals himself to more than 500 other people. And then he ascends into heaven. And then from there, the disciples go and they start the church of which we are now a part of. So that's kind of the timeline there. And so we're gonna look at those stories that take place in those 40 days post-Jesus' resurrection, but prior to his ascension, so that we can discover the implications of these post-resurrection encounters and why Easter matters to you, why it matters to me, why the resurrection is a big deal. Um, to, it's one of the ways I like to say when it comes to something kind of ethereal or seemingly unrelated is, you know, why does this matter for me like on a Tuesday? You know, why does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead on a Tuesday or any other day of the week or for my life? What does it actually have to do with me? What does it actually have to do with you? And so that's what we're going to look at in these stories. And so the post-resurrection encounter that we're looking at today in John 21 is a encounter with Jesus and a handful of his disciples. And the focal point of those disciples is going to be one disciple in particular by the name of Peter. And what we're going to see in this story is going to unfold this, you could say, connecting of the dots for Peter of some struggles he had prior to Jesus' death and resurrection and what Jesus wanted to do with those struggles uh, in order to really set Peter up to do and to be all that Jesus had for him, okay? You can kind of say it's like a zero to hero story, a comeback story, an underdog story, which I don't know about you, but those are my kind of stories because I think we all in our life have those moments or those situations where maybe we feel like we zeroed out, we, you know, we need a comeback, you know, we might call them regrets. But the good news that we're gonna see here, both for Peter and for us, is that is Jesus' specialty. His specialty is dealing with regrets and comebacks. Not our strengths, it says, but it's in our weaknesses that God has made strong. And so we're going to look at that, both for Peter and then how it applies to us. And so I invite you to read with me in John 21, starting in verse 1. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to read a little. We're going to talk a little. I'll read a little, talk a little, read a little, talk a little, and see what what, uh, God's Word has for us. So... Uh, Let's read verses one through three to begin with, where we get the start of this story of the miraculous catch of fish. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the other two disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. 
All right, so for a little bit of context of what's happening in these first three verses is, uh, as Pastor Wayne shared a little bit last week, that they were in the midst of, we said, dashed hopes. You know, Jesus, who they thought was gonna kind of bring in this like earthly kingdom in one way, didn't seem to play out. He, he's, he's died, he has risen from the dead, but they still don't fully understand what this means or the implications. And so you could say they're kind of in this discomfort zone. Things didn't turn out the way they expected. And so what you see here is they're kind of falling back on their old way. Um, they kind of what's comfortable for them for what they were prior to following uh, Jesus was they were fishers of fish. You know, he was gonna make you fishers of men. He was, they were fishermen, and so they're kind of slipping back, falling back into what's comfortable, what was familiar, um, in order to kind of you know figure out maybe what was next. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, that can be our response when you know, maybe things are uncomfortable, maybe when things don't go the way we expect, that instead of pressing into God to say, okay, God, what do you have in the midst of this discomfort? It is very easy for us to go back to something maybe a little more tangible, something that feels a little more safe, maybe our old ways, maybe some old habits, maybe some old sins. You know, maybe instead of pressing into our godly relationship, it's a temptation to maybe fall back into some unhealthy earthly relationships, maybe something toxic or destructive in that regard. Maybe it's some type of substance, maybe drugs, or alcohol. Uh, maybe it's just kind of checking out altogether, you know, just kind of just glazing over in front of a screen, whether it's a TV or a computer or a phone or whatever. Um, and just to kind of, again, go back to something that feels a little more comfortable, looking for answers maybe in the wrong places. But it's here in this story that we are reminded that when Christ shows up, that 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty, we remember Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And so here's why Easter matters first. The fact that Jesus has risen to new life starts with our hope that we too can find a new life. That we can shed our old ways, shed our old habits and find something new, something that God has for us. And so that's the first reason Easter matters is because just as Christ was raised to new life, we too are on the hunt for that new life that he has for us. And so Let's discover how Jesus is going to construct this new life in Peter and how that applies to us 2,000 years later. Pick it up in verse 4 with me. It says, early in the morning, so this is after a whole night of catching no fish, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, and so they're out in the boat, uh, but the disciples from the boat, they didn't realize it was Jesus. Uh, and so verse 5, Jesus, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Okay. So fishermen, fisherwomen in the room today, just time out. I'm thinking if I'm fishing and someone from the shore is yelling at me in my boat that, you know, maybe I'm not having a whole lot of luck. And they say, maybe with a little more specificity, like, hey, I know there's a sunken log over there. You might want to go try casting your line over there. Or, hey, you know, at this time of day and the cloud cover, uh, you might want to try this bait, maybe try over by the dock over here. But if I'm out there fishing and I'm casting on the left side of the boat and someone's like, hey, try casting your line on the right side of the boat. Not happening. But in this case, Jesus, 
This command, this directive, actually would have sounded strangely familiar to these disciples because actually back in Luke 5, Jesus gave a similar, seemingly nonsensical directive when they were out fishing and they said, hey, put your boat out just a little further and they, they were catching no fish and they pull up the net in that story and they get so much fish that the boat literally begins to sink. And so we're not really sure what the disciples are realizing or coming to you know, at this point, but there's enough in the voice that they say, obviously, okay, and so they do, they're desperate enough. They throw their nets on the other side, as it says in verse six. When they did, it says that they were unable to haul in the net because of such a large number of fish. And so whether prior or it would seem at this moment, once all these fish showed up, their maybe suspectingness uh, was all, you know, came to, to light. They had this, you could say this aha moment. They had the aha moment. That's Jesus on the shorts. That aha, this is Jesus moment. And so at that moment, verse seven says, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, and this is is hilarious because the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John talking about himself in his gospel, the gospel of John. (laughs) I was like sibling rivalry going on here. He's like the one that Jesus loved uh, said, Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped, out his, wrapped up his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water, you know, to get to Jesus. And I tell you for me, out of all the scenes in the Bible, this might be my favorite because I love this idea, this realization that, you know, Jesus or Peter, again, kind of falling back on old ways, but has this realization that that's Jesus. And he is so excited to get to Jesus that he's willing to leave behind his perfectly working boat to just jump impulsively into the water to begin to just run awkwardly in the water towards Jesus. Have you ever seen someone run in water? It's not pretty. It's actually, I would say, top 10 most awkward movements uh, that you can perform in your life. In fact, what I like to do is when I see people running in water at the pool, I like to pretend like that's how they run in real life on dry ground. (laughs) Makes it just a little more entertaining for me. Um, But I guess that's just me. Okay, so... Peter, he can't wait to get to Jesus. He's willing to do whatever it takes. He's gonna struggle through the water. He's gonna awkwardly run in water to make his way to Jesus because he's gonna do, I love this story, because he's gonna do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. And here's what I know to be true for some of you here today. You've taken a similar leap. You've taken a similar leap. You've jumped out of the boat. You have sought out, you could say, okay, why does Easter matter? You have taken the leap to, I would say, just step foot into the church. You know, maybe for you, and I've seen some of you here, I know it was your first week, maybe ever last week, uh, or maybe it was your first week in a long time last week, or maybe just in the last year or two, you've kind of, you've you'd say, I kind of waded into church. It's a little awkward. It was a little difficult because I didn't know where to go, what I'm supposed to do, when I'm supposed to stand, when I'm supposed to sit. And, you know, I'm kind of awkwardly figuring it out. And I just want to say, way to go. Like, let me just encourage you. That's awesome. I have no doubt that that is a very big deal. And I'll tell you, I know it's a big deal because I, made, as I kind of hinted at earlier, I made that same big step too. And I remember, I mean, I remember the first time walking into a church and just how frankly big and intimidating and scary and unknown it felt. In fact, 
you all know how your brains work. You don't remember everything from childhood, but you remember like the big things, the scary things. And it was a much, the, I guess, scary enough thing that it's cataloged in my brain that I can remember everything about opening the doors, walking that place, seeing all these people, and just frankly, just how scary it was. And so let me just encourage you, if you've taken that step, uh, maybe this past week or maybe in, in recent weeks or months, or even, maybe even the last year, to just stick with it. Because I know that even coming a couple times doesn't always resolve it. You know, it, it takes a while to get to shore. It takes a while to get our footing sometimes, to figure it out. And let me just encourage you, keep going, keep running awkwardly towards Jesus because it's the hope of new life. It's new life that's waiting for you on the other side. So good for you, keep it up, keep coming, and we will see that it's worth it and all the new life that God has for you. And just as an aside, for those of you who you call First Christian Church home, like this isn't your experience. Like you don't think anything of walking into this place because it's home. If First Christian Church is your home church, let me remind you and recall within you how it felt when it wasn't the first time or when it wasn't normal. You know, I would say this, that um, we have uh, with uh, Morgan Arsenault, an awesome hospitality team that does a great job being the front lines of just making sure that anyone walks through these doors, feels welcome, knows where to go and be hospitable. But in all fairness, the hospitality team, they're just the tip of the iceberg. That I would say, if you call First Christian Church home, well then you could say we're all on the hospitality team that in the same way that we would welcome someone into our physical home at our actual house, that we'd make sure that they felt comfortable, felt welcome, nowhere to go. Um, we too have that responsibility if this is our home church to keep our antenna up, to not be blind to those who are, have jumped out of the boat. They're wading through awkwardly, trying to figure out what to do, where to go, find their way to God. Um, we have that responsibility to help make those steps a little easier to help make their footing show up a little quicker. And so I would encourage you, don't forget what it was like uh, to, to, to be a first timer. And um, I would say with that, um, don't forget to, I guess, appreciate and remember the person that walked you through so that maybe God's calling you to be that person to somebody else, okay? And so we can all relate to this first point because we all, we all like Peter at some point took that plunge. We took that plunge toward Jesus and his church because frankly, we're in the room. So we obviously took the plunge and we took those steps or we're taking those steps to find out this truth of why Easter matters. Jesus rose to a new life so that we too can experience that new life. And we're gonna look a little bit more at how that plays out. So continuing on verse eight, we're gonna see the second reason Easter matters uh, picking up there. All right, it says this, that the other disciples followed in the boat towing the net of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, for it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And you got as a, if you're a fishing person or whatever, uh, you got to love this detail because what's the first question you ask when someone goes fishing? Well, how many did you catch? And so obviously they're very proud to put this number of 153. I don't know how many they were allowed to take in, but um, you know today you can't do that. So yeah, anyway. All right, so they got 153 fish. Very specific detail. Verse 12. Jesus said to them, "Come and have breakfast." None of the disciples dared ask him who you are because they knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus came. He took bread. And he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. 
All right, so what we see here in this little few verses is, you know, the first reality of Easter is hope for a new life. Then we see, secondly, that that new life is played out in a new relationship, a new life of relationship, both with Jesus and one another. And it really, you could say both now and forever. You see, just simply put, the reason the resurrection matters, that is, if Jesus died on a Friday, but then stayed dead, then there would be no Jesus for us to have a relationship with. He wouldn't be alive. He wouldn't be risen. He wouldn't be at the right hand of God like he is now. There would just, it would just be over. But the fact that he is alive affords us to have an alive and active relationship with him because he's alive and we're alive and we have that new life that he affords us. And so the way that relationship plays out is with him and with his church. With one another. That's the way Jesus designed it. When he ascends into heaven 40 days later, he sets up the way it means to follow me is to do this together, which he calls the church. We see that in the scene here. We see Peter as well as the other disciples and Jesus. And then for us, you know, sometimes I've had conversations with people who maybe, you know, say, well, I'm not, you know, church isn't for me. It's just, and they'll say something like, it's just me and Jesus. I'm like, well, the only problem with that is, is that's not what Jesus would be telling you in your me and Jesus time, because what Jesus paints is that it's me, Jesus, and one another. That's the way he designed it in his church. In fact, that's why our mission as a church is to become devoted followers of Jesus by, we say, growing together and serving together, that he designed it for us to do together. And when we're stepping into that, that is the beauty of what the church is supposed to be. Relationships with one another that are helping encourage our ultimate relationship with Jesus, okay? And so that starts here on earth, but it goes on for eternity. In fact, you could argue that the most used description of eternity or heaven is a scene just like they have on the beach, this meal together. That when eternity's talked about, it's, it's pictured as a banquet, as a feast, all celebrating together, and with Jesus, Jesus and us together. You could say it's kind of like the ultimate Thanksgiving on steroids, like it's the ultimate event. That's what we have to look forward to, okay? And so that's what this new life looks like. It's a new life and a new life with one another and Jesus as his church, okay? From there, picking up in verse 14. It says, this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, and now we move into, it says, Jesus reinstates Peter. So we're gonna look a little more specifically at Peter. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Okay, quick note here. So Simon Peter, Simon was Simon Peter's given name, his birth name, that his mother gave him, if you will. But later on, Jesus gives him the name Peter, which means the rock, okay? So just table that. All right, so continues verse 15. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you, Jesus said then. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Okay, there's a lot 
going on, you could say, between the lines of this conversation between Peter and Jesus. Uh, and as I thought about how to communicate and illustrate what's taking place, in some ways, what Jesus is doing in this conversation, you could say it's kind of an Ebenezer Scrooge moment. You're familiar with the character of Ebenezer Scrooge in the story, uh, A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Basically, um, if you're not, which I don't know what planet you're from if you don't know that story, but you've got Ebenezer Scrooge who lives this greedy, self-centered, oppressive life. And um, on Christmas Eve, he is visited by three spirits. He has these dreams uh, from past, present, and future that paint you know, the past sins that led him to this despicable present and then the trajectory of where this future was gonna take him, which wasn't good either. And so it's not looking good. Then he wakes up very pleased to know he's still in the present that he can make a shift from this selfish, greedy, you know, man to a generous and kind man, and then he lives happily ever after taking care of Tiny Tim and all this good stuff, okay? So you could say Jesus is having kind of one of these moments with Peter. It's kind of a past, present, future, I would say a reset, if you will. It's a past, present, future reset for Peter in that what you see Jesus doing in asking Peter these questions three times when he asks about his love and his loyalty to him, three times what Peter is, or excuse me, what Jesus is doing is he's drawing on Peter's past where he denied Jesus three times. He is reflecting Jesus or Peter's past of denying him three times. In fact, prior to Peter's denial, um, Jesus even tries to warn Peter that this is gonna happen if you turn back the clock a little more. In Matthew 26, uh, before Jesus is betrayed, uh, he's with his disciples and Jesus says, hey, all of you are gonna abandon me when I'm turned over. Uh, To which Peter you know, as we've learned, very impulsive, jumps in and replies, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Verse 34, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. To which, if you know how the story goes, uh, Peter, along with the other disciples, did in fact abandon Jesus at his betrayal. And furthermore, Peter, above the rest of the disciples, he verbally and publicly denies ever knowing Jesus. And he does it three times, just as Jesus predicted. Okay? And so you could definitely say this is Peter's zero moment, okay? This is, this is a zero moment. This is his first bit of baggage that is coming to light in the present conversation with Jesus from his past. And prior to that, um, what we see in Matthew 26 with that conversation before the denial even happens, Jesus is really giving him a chance to kind of maybe curb that. And we, we miss this. And that the second point of Peter's past that Jesus is bringing up in this present conversation on the beach is how Peter pridefully ignored Jesus' warning on the night of his betrayal. He pridefully ignored Jesus' warning. Because when you catch it, he first says, I'm not going to leave you. You know, he says, I would never leave you. I would never disown you. But Instead of humbly repenting or looking to Jesus, say, hey, whoa, this is going to happen. You know, can you like help me out so this doesn't happen? Uh, He pridefully proclaims, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then furthermore, Peter in that setting, he adds insult to injury by pridefully claiming not only is he not going to deny Jesus, but that he actually uh, loves and follows Jesus more than all these other clowns that are with him. Right there in front of the other disciples, he says, hey, even if all these jokers fall away, I never will. 
So it's a sibling rivalry thing, I guess, with them. You say, I'm more committed, I'm more devoted, and I love Jesus more than the rest of you guys, and I will never, ever deny him. And so we see Jesus in this present moment. He is addressing Peter's past so that Peter can become all that Jesus has for the future. So that's where we're going with this. And what's interesting is Peter's future is supposed to be the guy who starts the church. Remember, he's the rock. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says to him, you are Peter, you are the rock, and on this rock, I will build my church. But what's interesting in this present moment on the beach, on the shore where Jesus is having this conversation, he doesn't address Peter as Peter. You'll notice he addresses Peter as Simon. It's very interesting. He calls Peter Simon because frankly, Peter really hadn't been living up to the rock that he was supposed to be. And so Jesus does not address him as the rock, but Simon. And this makes sense because it's not like Simon can go into starting the church and show up and be like, can you smell what Simon's cooking? So pop culture references are always a coin toss. It's just not as powerful as can you smell what the rock is cooking? Y'all with me? So apparently our congregation doesn't watch wrestling. It's, it's fine. It's all I got, folks. So funny, last night I did this and it was, it was about the same reaction. Three people kind of knew what I was talking about. And I went and sat down and Pastor Jonathan, who you gotta understand, he doesn't touch people. Like it's just touching is not his thing. And so he's never done this, but I sit down, he puts his arm around me. And he says, hey man, for what it's worth, I love the rock thing. So, so if you wanna mess with Jonathan, just touch him. Okay. So yes, Peter has not been the rock. You know, he's not cooking up anything good. He is just Simon. And frankly, as Peter, or as Jesus is pointing out, he is in no position to be Peter. He's in no position to be the rock. He's in no position to be feeding his sheep, feeding his lambs. He's in no position to start the church in the sinful, fallen, denial state. And so what we see Jesus doing with Peter as he reinstates Peter is that Jesus is bringing him to a point of confession and repentance by first he's exposing Peter's pride of comparing. He's exposing Peter's pride of comparing because that's what Peter, he declared not only was he gonna follow him, but he said, even if all these other guys fall away, I never will. And Jesus is calling them on it. He's, in verse 15, we see Simon, son of John. What's interesting, he says, not only do you love me, he says, do you love me more than these? He's calling Peter on his declaration from prior, to which Peter knows Jesus is calling him on this pride of comparison. So Peter simply states with no comparison, uh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, period. Like, not going far, yeah, I, yes, I love you, but he's not gonna, he knows he's not gonna get into that comparison. So there's that. And then thirdly, Jesus calls for Peter's public confession to redeem his public denial. Jesus calls for Peter's public confession to redeem his public denial. And here we see this conversation with Jesus. Really, it's not just private. It is happening in front of all the other disciples. And frankly, it's happening for all of human history of which we are now a part of as well to learn from. It's a public confession to respond to a public um, denial. And I was thinking this past week, actually, I got myself into a little bit of a, you could say a public declaration 
uh, followed by what I had to kind of a public confession, a public pay the piper, if you will, pickle this past week. Uh, so for us as a staff, we have these monthly all staff meetings where we get together. And instead of a traditional staff meeting, we decided uh, following Easter that we would kind of as a, hey, way to go everyone for Easter, we would take our staff meeting to do like a, like a fun lunch over at Starship Billiards and have like a little billiards tournament. And so as we're getting ready for this, I never referred to this event as just like, the billiards event. It was always with some version of me predicting and talking about and publicly declaring how I'm going to beat everybody. That's what I did. So I like to have fun with this. And so, um, you know, like for example, in the email I sent that day uh, as a reminder, hey, just this is to all the staff. Hey, just a fun way to say thank you for Easter. We're going to shift our all staff meeting and we're going to meet at Starship Billiards from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. today for lunch and to crown me the billiards victor. See you all then. And then uh, there was a meeting that, was, that typically happens at 1 that we pushed to 1.30 uh, that I had to send a calendar invite to. And so I don't know if you know how calendar invites work, but you put what the calendar invite is and people have to accept it. And so I knew whatever I wrote, people would have to accept. And so I wrote for the calendar meeting, director staff meeting, parentheses, post Brian staff billiards win with a little eight ball emoji. Um, and so these two instances, these were, these were just magnified around the office as I was just like peacocking around talking about how our team's going to win and going on and on and just talking it up. But I could imagine I don't have to now tell you how that played out for me, given Peter's story and given, it's like, oh man, if you lose, if you win, you're just like, anyway. So here is a picture of the winners and you'll notice that my team is not pictured. <laughs> I got a hand to it. Fred and Morgan, they were like, the, I didn't see them coming. They're, they were... They're fierce. They're pretty fierce competitors, but I had it won. I was down to the eight ball. I called corner pocket, nailed it, but unfortunately I also nailed the cue ball into the other corner pocket, which if you know anything about billiards, if you scratch on the eight ball, you lose. And I might have, maybe just a little bit, your pastor had a little bit of a scene in public with a, it just happened all so fast. I didn't know, see it coming. And so I'm hoping they let me back into this place and everything will be okay. But. As you can imagine, as they say, my public pride came before my public fall, as I have, you can imagine, not heard the end of it, either digitally or in person around the office ever since this past Tuesday. And so, in a similar way, actually very different, but similar enough to make an illustration of it, Peter, he is having to come face to face with his sin, his confession, in the same way in which he did sin, that he has a public confession to redeem his public pride and his public denial. Jesus wants to redeem Peter's past through confession and repentance in this present moment so that Simon can, in fact, be the rock. So he can make way to redeem for him to be the rock on which he is gonna build his church, which if you know how that story continues, so Jesus ascends, and then just a few days later, Peter preaches in Acts chapter two, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. They repent, they're baptized, they're saved, and the church is started. The church is started, which brings us to our third why Easter matters. And we see it in Peter's story is that new life, new life comes as Jesus redeems the old life. Jesus redeems the old life in his making way for new life. That's how Jesus works. And so it's not an add-on. You could say it's a, it's a reset. And here's what I know is true for some of you today. Some of you are, you could say, stalled. 
You're being held back from the future that God wants for you, that God has for you, because you have not fully allowed him to deal with your past. Or maybe you could say you've not allowed him to deal with something that's in the present that he wants to put in your past. You know, for Peter, it was pretty clear. It was through this public denial that he was redeemed and able to give a public proclamation of Jesus and 3,000 people are saved. If you were here with us this past weekend at Easter, we had this um, testimony video from, um, from Jeff Mueller, who, uh, who he was, his story was he lost everything and he was a client at the Oasis Day Center who needed their services to now is the president and CEO of the company. I mean, it's just a great story of God redeeming for his purposes. Just being real transparent before you all today, um, I was thinking about, okay, where has this been in my life? You know, growing up, I've always had... Um, I guess you could say kind of a, sh- a short temper, an anger that led to kind of some outbursts and rage and some difficulties as a kid and even into adulthood. And it's been a blessing to me and thankfully to others how God has redeemed that. He has taken that aggression and he has rechanneled it and repurposed it for the use of goodness and getting after things that he wants me to get after. And I can tell you in my own life the way in which God has moved me forward and redeemed that past struggle for the benefit of wanting to bring glory to him. And so I wonder what it is for you. You know, maybe it's um, a past struggle in your marriage, you know, or maybe it's a present one that God wants to put in the past so that he can utilize that, he can redeem that, not only as a blessing to your own marriage, but maybe to help other people who are struggling in their marriage. I would say that is the common story of our marriage mentors who do marriage mentoring. We have a marriage mentoring program. If you're, you know, need a, a leg up in your marriage, we have these marriage mentors who, for the most part, they've been there, they've done that, and they've let God redeem that story for the benefit and the blessing of others who are going through similar struggles. You know, maybe it's uh, as a parent, something you faced prior, or maybe as, even as a single person, you know, I've, we had a young man who was really start struggling with some singleness stuff, and we had an older young man who's also been single, and he mentored him and discipled here just a few weeks ago. Just neat how God uses our stories for the benefit of furthering his kingdom and others' lives, all for his glory. I think about maybe some of the experiences you had. Uh, maybe it's a diagnosis or depression or grief or loss. Not saying that God brought those things. You know, we know that we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world, and these things are a part of that. But we also know that God can take that experience and utilize it, redeem it for the benefit of bringing glory to Him and blessing others in some way. And so I wonder, what for you does you could say God have in your maybe present that needs to become the past so that he can use it into the future, maybe just something in the past that God wants to redeem and utilize for the blessings of others into the future. And really that's, again, that's, that is the message of hope. That is the message of 1 Corinthians because Jesus Christ rose from the grave, rose to new life. We are afforded a new life. We take the old and makes it new. And so the way I wanna conclude our time together is you could say, Kind of a like, uh, I've done this before, it's called like a, a choose your own adventure kind of ending to the sermon, but really not the ending, but the, kind of, you could say the next chapter to your story. And just give you some time here in the context of worship to just pray and reflect and ask God, okay, God, what is it in my past or it's in my present that needs to be put in my past that you wanna redeem and use for your glory in the future? And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray and start that conversation and I'm just gonna give you time in the quietness of your seat to have that conversation with God, to get that conversation started um, that will hopefully start here but continue um, in the days ahead. And so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
we, we have our moments. We have our zeros. We have the reality that we have all sinned. We all have fallen short. And the reality is that there's so many of that stuff that no one in this room will ever know, but we know that you know, and we know. But here's the good news. We thank you. We thank you that you don't leave us there, that you wanna take that, that you wanna forgive us, that you wanna turn that for the benefit uh, of us, the benefit of others, and all for your glory. And so God, whatever it is that we have in our past or in our present needs to move to our past, God, I ask that you would reveal that to each of us as your church, as individuals, um, yes, but also together, that you would reveal what it is that you wanna take from the past and move in the future. So lead us as we pray, Lord, what area from my past do you want to redeem for the future? Lord, hear our prayers. conversation uh, that has started here would not end here, that it would continue, that we would seek you in the days ahead, that your Holy Spirit would prompt us, that whatever it is that you've drawn up in our hearts, that you've led us to discover, um, that it wouldn't be a cul-de-sac, it wouldn't be a dead end, it would, it would evolve into what you want uh, to do in our futures. And so God, we pray that whatever it is that's in our past or present that needs to be put in the past, God, that you would lead us day by day, yes, on like Tuesday and every other day, um, to determine how it is you want to redeem that for your glory, uh, for our blessing, and to be a blessing to others as we further your kingdom, not in our own strength, but as always, by the strength of the Holy Spirit alive and at work within us. We thank you for that, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.